How many of you saw Doctor Strange? Okay, not as many as that. Okay, so for those of you who have not seen Doctor Strange, it's a Marvel movie that follows a guy by the name of Doctor Stephen Strange, who is this brilliant, wealthy surgeon. Uh, who gets in a horrible automobile accident. And because of that, he loses uh, the fine motor skills in his hands necessary to perform surgery. And so much of the film is simply him seeking to be healed. And it follows this downward spiral of him trying um, treatment after treatment after treatment to restore function in his hands to no avail. And it's a last-ditch effort that really gets the, the Marvel part of the story going. But it suffice to say that Dr. Strange was intent on finding healing for his problem. And though none of us will become Sorcerer Supremes, and hopefully none of us are ever in horrible car accidents where we lose control, like fine motor skills in our hands, all of us are like him in the sense that we all are searching for, or at minimum need, healing. Sometimes it is physical, sometimes it's healing that you can't see but is there. And that's why our text is so important tonight. Uh, if you are just joining us, we are journeying through the gospel of Mark, which is Mark's telling of the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand, that Jesus is king. And one of the great realities of the kingship of Jesus is that he has come to heal, which is il well illustrated in our text. In Mark chapter 2, we're going to look at uh, Jesus' interaction with a, a man who was unable to walk and what any of that has to do with us. And so from our text, we're going to look at the symptom, the sickness, and the cure. So in the first two verses of our text, Mark succinctly paints the scene for us, that, that Jesus has been out preaching the good news and has returned home to Capernaum. And uh, whenever the news gets around that Jesus is back in town, a ton of people just flood his home. And so there are so many people there that, that no one else can get in, not even in the doorways. Mark tells us that, that to this group, Jesus continues to preach the word. But he's added a, a new component to it. He's started healing people. And this is normally what we talk about when we talk about Jesus' earthly ministry, his healings, the miracles that he performed. And we often treat those things as separate from what he taught and what he preached. But the two really should be held together because the miracles support the message. Uh, listen to what Isaiah said, the prophet Isaiah says about the coming of the Lord. Uh, in Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 6, he says, To those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And what Isaiah is trying to get at is that when God becomes king, when he comes to be with his people, we see the reversal of much of the sickness and brokenness that's in creation. So we shouldn't be surprised to find Jesus healing people as he's proclaiming the good news that the king has come. And it also shouldn't surprise us that Jesus' presence attracts people who desire to be healed. Uh, verse 3 tells us about one such guy. He's a, a paralytic. He's unable to walk, and he's brought to Jesus' house by four friends. But of course, they can't get in the house, and so they have this great idea. Let's climb up to the roof, destroy his property, rip a hole in his roof, and lower our friend down. That's what they did. 
And, and, and Jesus, rather than scolding him, we're told that he looks at the man, tells him to rise, pick up his bed, and go home. And verse 12 says that immediately the man rose, picked up his bed, and went out from them. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. But this is what Jesus had come to do. Jesus is the great healer. But let's be honest for a second. If this is what Jesus came to do, to heal, he was very bad at it. Oh, sure, he healed some people, but I'm very confident that this man was not the only one hoping to be healed that day. Anytime Jesus went anywhere, there were people hoping to be healed. And yet he often passed them by. And we can actually get upset with God over this. Uh, Perhaps you have read about how Jesus healed people and you've prayed for healing for somebody you care about and nothing happened. But what we need to realize, what our text wants us to realize, is that oftentimes we misidentify the symptom with the sickness. When my wife was little, she had this uh, persistent earache. And the doctors were convinced it was an ear infection, so they gave her amoxicillin. They put tubes in her ears to help drain whatever was in there. But to no avail, nothing was working. And finally, one of them's like, hey, we should run some tests. And it turns out it was not an ear infection. Uh, It was an infection that was working its way to her brain. And so what do you think the doctors did when they figured that out? They stopped the amoxicillin, they stopped the tubes, and they took her to emergency surgery because they had identified what the sickness was. They were going to stop worrying about the symptoms and deal with the actual problem. And that's what Jesus is doing here. It just gets a little muddy because he deals with the symptom as well. See, we're told that the actual sickness that's going on here in verse 5 is sin. When Jesus sees the paralytic man, he doesn't say, whoa, your legs are messed up. Let me help you with that. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. The man's main problem, the root of his sickness and the root of all of ours is sin. And here's how we normally define sin. Sin is is, uh, anything we say, speak, or do that is contrary to God's commands. And that's, that's a great starter definition if you're trying to explain it to someone, but it doesn't, it doesn't really get deep enough. It doesn't answer the why question. And so we, we need to drill down a little deeper to see the root of our sickness. See, sin is ultimately mistrust and misplaced trust. Sin is mistrust and misplaced trust. Um, how many of you have ever done a trust fall before? You know, like where you, 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 know, you cross your arms, lock your legs, and hope someone catches you. Okay. God invites each one of us into a trust-fall-like relationship. He invites us to trust him, to believe that his way is best, that, that in him we find fulfillment and acceptance and so much more. But as we mentioned last week, there is this aversion within each one of us to trust God. We, we mistrust his goodness toward us. We just assume that he's going to let us fall. And so, so sin is, in part, mistrusting God. But the reality is, life is a trust fall. You are going to look to something to give you satisfaction and fulfillment and security. And so sin isn't just mistrusting God, it's also misplacing your trust in other things, in the wrong things, in inadequate things. It's saying to them, you'll catch me. 
You'll, you'll make me feel complete. You'll satisfy my longings. And, and I, th- I think this misplaced trust is at play in our text um, as well. You can almost hear the paralytic man saying to himself, if I could only walk, if I, if I just had use of my legs, then everything would be great. And that would solve all of my problems. And what he's done is he's looking at his symptoms and thinking that it's the sickness. That if, if Jesus would just deal with this problem, everything's taken care of. And we think that way more often than we'd like to admit. We think to ourselves, man, if I just had my license, that would solve all my problems. If I could just get out of my parents' house and be on my own, that would solve all my problems. If I just had a boyfriend or girlfriend, that would solve everything. And none of those things are bad, but when we make them the solution to our problems, the satisfaction to our longing, we have misplaced our trust. And what this mistrust and misplaced trust does is it leads us to say, think, or do things that are contrary to God's instructions. See, when, when you focus on curing your symptoms, you will go to great, even ungodly lengths to do so. But that pursuit will only lead you to, to be dehumanized and ultimately destroyed. What needs to happen is a far greater healing. We need an actual cure. Um, C.S. Lewis, so he's the writer of the Chronicles of Narnia, and one of his later entries in that series writes about uh, this boy named Eustace, and Eustace is a brat. He's a horrible human being, and through a a number of events, he ends up being turned into a dragon, um, which is not as cool as it sounds, because his friends have to leave this island, and they can't take him with them. And so in his distress, he journeys up to the top of this mountain, and he meets a lion. And the lion says, hey, why don't you bathe? But first, you need to undress. And so Eustace realizes that the lion means, oh, I need to take off this dragon skin, this, this sickness that's cloaked me. And so he tears at himself, and like a snake that's trying to get out of its skin, he wiggles out of his skin. But, but he's still a dragon, still, still a dragon, And so he does it again and again and again until finally the lion interrupts him and says that he's the one that has to do it. And so with his lion claws, he tears far deeper into Eustace than he ever thought possible. But when the dragon tosses the skin aside, it's different. And when he throws Eustace into the water, he's a boy again. And here's the point of that story. We, like Eustace, try to deal with our problems, but we only ever go skin deep that we try and deal with the symptoms, and we ask God to be a miracle worker, to give us the thing that we think will solve our problem. But what we actually need in order to be healed is for someone to go far deeper, to deal with the actual sickness, and that requires more than a miracle worker. It requires a savior, and that savior has to be Jesus. Um, You know, the, the religious leaders in our text actually had a rather dramatic reaction to Jesus' diagnosis. After he, he declares to the paralytic that, uh, that his sins are forgiven, we're told in verse 6 that some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, I want you to imagine that, uh, that Kyle, Adam, and I are just standing around having a nice little chat. 
where all of a sudden, Adam just like sucker punches me. Just. But then Kyle turns to Adam and he says, Adam, it's okay. Your sin is forgiven. Now, why, why does that not work? Because Kyle wasn't punched. I was punched. And forgiveness is always the, the property of the offended party. See, the religious leaders picked up exactly what Jesus was saying, but they drew the wrong conclusion from it. They assumed that Jesus was disrespecting God in his pronouncement of forgiveness, but in reality, what he was doing was saying, I am God. I have come to do far more than just deal with your symptoms. I have come to deal with your sickness. And he did this ultimately on the cross, that on the cross, Jesus bears the full weight of our consequences. He is punished so that we might be forgiven. He deals with our sickness. But, and in doing so, he demonstrates once and for all that God is worth trusting, that, that he, he will catch us, that he has our best in mind. And so here's the point. The coming of God's kingdom is good news because the king brings with him healing. Not always the healing of our symptoms on this side of heaven, but healing from our deepest, most vile sickness. Mm-hmm.